God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And it's in that holiness this morning that we worship him. We recognize he is the only one worthy. We lift our eyes to the heavens and we ask God for his help to just bless his holy name. We thank him that he is with us to help us do that. We're thankful that you're here both in person and also online. May we worship the Holy One this morning. In the book of John, there's a wonderful invitation that takes place as Jesus begins as his public ministry. I'll just jump right into the middle of it. In John 137, forward, it says that two disciples heard Jesus speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? 
They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and who followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which when translated means a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Jesus invites us to come and see who is he, what has he done. And as we understand and learn that he is the only one, the Messiah, King of kings, Lord of lords, the Son of God, his invitation is to follow me. Believe in me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's the invitation to us this morning. How will, after we leave this service, will we follow him? Let's think about that. Bow your heads for a minute and let's pray to God. Lord, we know that all who have followed the command to follow you have done so and never regretted it. It doesn't mean that we live a life full of only happiness with no pain, only our, our desires fulfilled, only what we want to happen. Often it, it means quite the opposite. And yet, Lord, that's not what we're called to live for. We're called to live for you, and when we live for you, we truly live the one who knows freedom knows Jesus, who is the one who sets us free. Help us, Lord, to freely worship you, and right now, and when we leave this place this morning, to follow you. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, let's stand, everyone, and start our singing.
You know, we said this before, there is no God like our God. The Bible says it many times. We know that from his word and from experience. But just when you think of Jesus as General Jesus, the commander of his army, um, a commander doesn't get normally anywhere near uh, those that are the lowest part of the army, the privates or whatever you want to call. Jesus does. He's both the commander, the mighty one who we bow and worship, but he's also the one by our side, our friend who is in us. Praise the Lord. We worship Jesus also as man of sorrows. Your love poured out over me. 
It is true. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We do everything to bring attention to you. Just thank you from this church this morning. Sing together, dear ones. Thank you for the
seated. He is the worthy one. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Philip, and worship team for leading us in worship this morning. It's so great to see so many who are um, talented and gifted, and it is so wonderful to have so many of our young people involved in the music uh, here at the church, and it is good to see them develop, and it's been just wonderful this morning. Well, we want to welcome you here this morning especially those of you who are with us for the first time. We want to extend a special welcome to you, as well as those that are um, online with us this morning. We want to welcome you to our service. Um, by way of announcements, I just want to bring a couple things to your attention. Um, this evening, there will be a commun communion service, so if you can be here, we encourage you to be here at 6 o'clock for that. Um, we also uh, want to bring your attention, singles. Um, uh, there's going to be uh, a lunch following the uh, Sunday school hour. Um, so you can meet back in the kitchen area for that. And then one last thing, and that is, this is for those who have children, uh, grades K through six. Um, on April 1st is going to be the Pine Derby race 
at 9 o'clock. Many of you have been involved in that in the past. If you still need a kit, uh, one of the car kits, um, Sue Vaughn is going to be in the hallway right out here after service, and you can pick one up from her if you haven't done so already. All right, with that, I'll turn it over to Pastor Don. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, it is a joy to be together this morning as a church and to worship you. As we have sung this morning, we have sung of your worthiness, we've sung of your love, your grace, the forgiveness that is ours through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for that great salvation. We recognize that it is only by your grace, apart from any works which we have done, and we thank you this morning that we are able to, to come and worship you because of what you have done for us and because of who you are. We thank you, Father, for the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. And Father, as we've come together to worship, we simply want to thank you as we've sung this morning for your love and for those nail-pierced hands, the sacrifice of our Savior in our behalf, the one who surrendered himself and his will to the will of the Father, and he gave himself for us so that we might have eternal life, and we thank you for the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that we would live our lives with that hope before us, that we would live our lives here in this temporal world with eternity's values in view. And Father, as we've come together this morning to, to worship and to study your word, I, I pray that as we look into your word this morning, we would not allow Satan to come and snatch that away. We would not allow the, the cares of this world to, to crowd out the truths of your word. But rather, we would allow your word to mold us, to shape us, to conform us to the image of Christ, that we would allow your word to, to pierce our hearts, to change us where we need to be changed, and just allow you, Father, to work in us and to make us into that which you would desire for us. Help us, Father, to, to recognize that you indeed do have a plan for each one of us. You've given each of us responsibilities. May we humble ourselves before you, not being lifted up with pride in any way, but totally dependent upon you as we would fulfill those responsibilities and that we would do it to your honor and to your glory. We pray, Father, that we would recognize that you have simply asked us to follow Jesus, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him. And may we indeed recognize this morning that reality and that truth in our own lives, and that any area of our life that we have not surrendered to you, that you would bring that to our attention. Search us, Father, and know our ways, know our hearts. And I pray, Father, that you would reveal to us any way of wickedness in us, so that we might acknowledge that before you and that we might indeed humble ourselves before you. Again, Father, we thank you for each one here this morning. We thank you for each need that is represented. And you know the heart, for you know all things. And I pray, Father, that you would work in each heart to accomplish your will this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated.
Sometimes when you've grown up in church, you take for granted that you may know a lot of the history of things. And that song right there by Horatio Spafford, if you don't know the history of how it was written, I encourage you to look that up. Um, and to think that the man wrote that verse 3, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but in whole, is laid to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. The man lost, in some ways, everything, and instead of writing a song about his loss, his sorrow, his pain, he focused us instead on Jesus Christ. Um, that doesn't happen outside of a man who knows who he is in Christ and where he's going. So just uh, thank you guys for that reminder in that song. Let's stand again one more time and sing songs of love to the Lord, of commitment, of love to him.
Give us more love to Thee, Lord. you to turn with me to John chapter 21. Last week we were looking at Luke chapter 22. We raised the question, why does Christ pray for us? We read in several passages of scripture that Christ is seated at the Father's right hand, interceding for us or praying for us. Why? In Luke chapter 22, we get a glimpse as to why when we see Christ praying for Peter. From that prayer, we can make some applications to our own lives, and Christ prays for us because He loves us, because He takes responsibility for us, because He knows we are weak, and because He's counting on us. He, he has given us responsibilities. He desires for us to fulfill those responsibilities. In that sense, he's, he's counting on us to do so. And so he prays for us. As we know from Luke chapter 22, when Christ told Peter that he's praying for him, Peter responded with pride. You don't need to worry about me, Jesus. I've got this. I am willing to go to prison with you. I'm willing to die with you. And then Christ told Peter before morning, you're going to deny me three times. Did Peter learn anything from that experience? 
A few days later, we come to John chapter 21. It's now after the resurrection. And as we read in John chapter 21, in the exchange between Christ and Peter, we find that indeed Peter did learn from that experience. And Christ asks the question of Peter in John chapter 21, Do you love me? And Peter's response shows a broken and changed man. A humbled man rather than a prideful man. Do you love me? Let's bow in prayer. Father, again, we come to you in recognition of our dependence upon you to understand your word, to to know what it says, to see its truth, to apply that truth to our lives. We We are helpless without the Spirit of God. And I pray this morning that we might be yielded to that Spirit so that we might know, so that we might apply that truth, so that we might examine our hearts, So that we might appropriately answer that question, do you love me? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. To really understand what's going on here in John chapter 21, we do need to know kind of the backstory. What's really going on? What what leads up to this exchange between Christ and Peter in John chapter 21? So again, very quick review of Luke 22 that we looked at last week because this morning's message is kind of a sequel to what we looked at last week. And So in Luke chapter 22, Christ told Peter, Peter, Satan has asked for me to surrender you to him so that he might sift you as wheat. In other words, Peter, Satan wants you so that he can try to prove that you're just chaff, you're not the real thing, you're a phony. He was successful with Judas, he was a phony, he now wants you so that he can prove that you're a phony too. And he says, Peter, I'm praying for you, that your faith fail not. That your faith not come to an utter, complete failure, that your, your faith does not come to a complete end. But then he gives a little hint to Peter that though his faith may not completely and utterly fail, it is going to falter because he then says, when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. In other words, he's hinting to the fact, Peter, this isn't going to go well. And I'm praying that your faith not completely and utterly fail, but you are going to falter, you are going to stumble, you are going to turn your back on me. But when you turn back to me, strengthen the brethren. I have a plan for you, Peter. I have work for you to do. Strengthen the brethren. Again, Peter's response was was one of pride. And so he responds that I don't need your prayers. In essence, that's what he's saying. I really don't need your prayers. I'm good. I've got this. I'm willing to go to prison with you. I'm willing to die with you. And that's when Christ said, Peter, before morning, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And indeed, Peter did deny his Lord that very night three times. Peter did repent. He did turn back to his Lord. And so, 
Satan was demanding that he surrender Peter to Satan. Christ assured Peter that he was praying for him and his faith would not fail, but he did hint that he would turn his back on Christ. Christ then told Peter when he turned back to him, he needed to strengthen the brethren. Peter, of course, responds in pride and declared emphatically that he was ready to die with Christ. That's the backstory to John chapter 21. And now, in John chapter 21, and I'd first direct your attention to verse 3. This is after the resurrection. Simon Peter says unto them, that is to some of the other disciples, they weren't all there at this time, but some of the other disciples, Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. They say unto him, we also go with you. They went forth and entered into a boat immediately, and that night they caught nothing. So Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, don't misunderstand what he's saying here. Peter's not saying, you know, I think I'm just going to take the afternoon off. I'm going to get my my pole and reel. I'm going to sit on the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and I'm just going to have a relaxing afternoon fishing. That's not what Peter's saying here at all. Peter, by trade, was a fisherman. For three and a half years, he gave up his livelihood of fishing to follow Jesus, the one whom he believed was the Christ, the Messiah. Now, the Messiah has been killed. What am I supposed to do? Was he the Messiah or wasn't he? What, what, what am I supposed to do? I guess I'll just go back to my old way of life. I'll go back to my own livelihood. I'm going to go fishing. That's what I know what to do. And so when he says, I'm going fishing, he really is simply saying, I'm going back to my old way of life. I'm going back to my old livelihood. Because he's confused. He doesn't understand. He doesn't know what's going on. And they fish all night, and it says they caught nothing. How many of you can relate to that? <laughs> if you're a fisherman, probably you've had some of those nights as well. But as they come to morning and they head back towards shore, there's a man standing on the shore. And that man cries out, have you caught anything? Don't you hate that question when you didn't catch anything? <laughs> and they respond, no. And he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat. And so they did. And as they throw their net on the right side of the boat, they have a net full of fish, so much so they can hardly drag it into shore. And that's when they recognize that the man on the shore was Jesus. And then they come to shore with their net, and they, they drag it up, and the net didn't break. Amazingly, it was so full, but they dragged it up onto shore, and Jesus had breakfast ready for them. He cooked up some fish, and he had some bread, and they had breakfast together. And it specifically says that... Uh, that they caught 153 fish. You know, I, I remember one time up in Alaska, you could dip net for hooligan. You ever hear of a hooligan? Not the hooligan down on the street, but a fish. I don't know if that's the official name, but that's what we called it up in Alaska. And, and you'd, they, they would run up the river at a certain time, and, and you'd take the dip net, and you'd dip it, and you'd have a bunch of hooligans. I, I dipped my net and I dumped the fish in the bucket and I dipped it again and dumped it in a bucket. I had 150 hooligans with two dips of the net. They were just a little bitty fish. Now what do I do with them? 150 hooligans. I take them home and it took quite a while, but I 
gutted them and cut their head off and everything. You know, they were good, but they weren't that good. <laughs> I didn't need 150 of them. I remember going to a friend's house and visiting with him, and he said, hey, you want some smoked hooligan? Yeah, sure, I'll take some smoked hooligan. And so he hands me a smoked hooligan. It was the whole thing. It was the head, it was the tail, it was the guts. He just hung it in a smokehouse and smoked the whole fish. Uh, who knew? <laughs> and so I'm looking at this thing, I said, okay, how am I supposed to eat this? And so, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. So I watched him and he started in on the head. And he ate the whole thing. And I, like, I guess I got to do the same thing. So I ate the whole thing. And then he said, you want another one? No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> anyway, they caught 153 fish. And Jesus had breakfast for them. And while they're eating, we come to verse 15. The first exchange between Christ and Peter. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? There's two things we need to recognize in that verse. First of all, when he says, do you love me? He uses the word agapao, or the Greek word agape for the word love. Agapago is just the, the verb. Agape, do you, do you have an agape love for me? Now, agape is that highest form of love, that, that, that love of, of unconditional devotion and commitment, that, that love of unconditional surrender, that, that love of intimacy. It's that highest form of love, the love that God has for us, the love that the Father had for His Son. And he says, Peter, do you have this agape love for me, this, this unconditional love and devotion and surrender to me? And then he says, do you have that kind of love for me more than these? What does the more than these refer to? Grammatically, as you look at that verse, grammatically, it could refer to three different things. Do you love me more than you love these disciples? these other disciples here? Do you love me more than you love these other disciples standing here? Or he could be saying, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Or he could be saying, do you love me more than these fishing things, these fishing items, this boat and, and this net, these, these things that represent your livelihood? Do you love me more than these fishing items that represent your livelihood? Now, grammatically, it could refer to, to all three, and there's actually good arguments for all three of them, but my preference, what I believe he's talking about is, do you love me more than these things? Do you love me more than these, these things that represent your old way of life? Jesus is going to challenge Peter here. He's going to challenge him to a career change. Do you love me more than this old way of life, this old livelihood? And so Christ asked Peter, do you love, do you agape me more than these, these items of fishing representing their old way of life? Do you have this unconditional devotion and surrender and commitment to me, this, this love of intimacy? 
Peter's response says unto him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That seems like a, a good answer, and yet, again, in our English, it's not quite as clear. Because when Peter says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, he uses a different word for love. He uses the word phileo. Phileo is not a bad word, but it's not that deep, unconditional devotion and intimacy that agape represents. Phileo is more of a friendship love. And so he says to Christ in response to his question, you know that I have a, a friendship love for you. And notice also, Christ asked, do you love me more than these? Peter doesn't respond to the more than these question. He simply says, you know that I have a friendship love for you. He, he doesn't say that he has a greater love for Jesus than he does for these old livelihood things. He simply says, I have a friendship love for you. Why? Why does Peter respond in that way? Just says, you know that I love you, phileo. I would suggest to you that Peter is very hesitant to emphatically declare his unconditional love and devotion and surrender to Jesus because a few days earlier, that's exactly what he did and that didn't turn out so well, did it? A few days, a few days prior to this, he emphatically declared his dying love, that unconditional surrender to Jesus. And a few hours later, he's denying that he even knows his Lord. And so now Jesus says, Peter, do you have an unconditional love and surrender and devotion for me? And Peter's like, the last time I emphatically declared that, I ended up denying my Lord. And so he's hesitant to declare that kind of love. He's a changed man. He's a broken man. He's a humbled man. No longer is that pride, yeah, Lord, I love you, I'll die with you. It's, Lord, I, I have a friendship love for you. That's about all I can declare right at the moment. He's hesitant. He can't even declare that that love is more than for these things. He's a humbled man. He displays that humility before Christ. And in displaying that humility, Christ responds. Christ says to him, feed my lambs. Christ doesn't condemn him for using a lesser word. In fact, Christ recognizes Peter's humility. And in essence, as Christ responds in recognizing Peter's humility, he says, Peter, now I can use you. Now I can use you. Lift it up with pride, I can't use you. Going in your own strength and in your own power, I can't use you. But now he sees a broken man, he sees a humbled man, and he says, okay, Peter, now I can use you. Feed my lambs. A few days earlier, 
Christ said, he hinted to him, you're you're going to turn your back on me, but when you turn back to me, when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. Peter, when you turn back to me, I have a job for you to do. I have a plan for you. I'm going to give you some responsibilities, strengthen the brethren. And now, a few days later, as Jesus sees the humility of Peter, he says, Peter, here's your job. Strengthen the brethren. Feed my lambs. That's the responsibility I have for you. Peter was not ready to declare confidence in himself, but Christ was ready to declare confidence in him. And he gives him a job to do. Feed my lambs. A few days before this, Peter emphatically declared his unconditional love for Christ and then denied him. He has been humbled and uses a word referring to a lesser form of love. He says, I have a friendship love for you in his humility. Christ recognizes Peter's humility and is now ready to use him, commanding him, feed my lambs. Come to verse 16. We see the second exchange. He says to him again, the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Notice, he lessens the question a little bit. He doesn't say, do you love me more than these, these things that represent your old livelihood. He simply says, do you love me? But he still uses the word agape. Peter, do you have that unconditional love and devotion and surrender to me? Not necessarily more than these things, but do you have that unconditional love and surrender for me? But Peter, still in humility, responds, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Still using the word phileo. You know that I have a friendship love for you. So a second time he asks, do you love me? This time he drops the more than these, making the question a little less demanding, but still Peter can only answer by using the word phileo. In humility, he's still not ready to declare that unconditional love and devotion he still has in his mind. The last time he did, it did not go well. I depended upon myself. Also notice, both the first time First exchange, and now this second exchange. He says, Lord, you know. That's significant, isn't it? In essence, he's saying, Jesus, why are you asking me this? You already know the answer. The last time I declared my unconditional love for you and that that unconditional devotion to you, the last time... I declared that. You told me I was going to deny you. You knew my heart better than I knew my heart. You knew me better than I knew myself. And so why are you asking this? You you already know. You know what's in my heart. I'm not at this moment quite sure what's in there, but you know. And you do know that I have at least a friendship love for you. Peter also includes again the words you know, remembering that a few days earlier Christ knew Peter better than he knew himself. 
Christ again responds. He says unto him, feed my sheep, or literally shepherd my sheep. First he says, the first exchange, it's feed my lambs. Now it's shepherd my sheep. More involved in shepherding than in feeding. Feeding the lambs is one thing. Shepherding the sheep, that's, that's more. That's more than just feeding. Shepherding certainly involves feeding, but, but it's also taking care of the, the, the injured. It's taking care of the sick. It's guarding the sheep against the, the predators. It's moving the sheep from one pasture to the other. It's much more involved in shepherding the sheep than feeding the lambs. And notice he makes that change too, lambs to sheep. It's not just feed the sheep or feed the lambs, feed feed the young ones, feed the little ones. But now greater responsibility, I want you to shepherd all of my sheep, even the older ones, not just the little ones. A greater responsibility as Christ continues to see the humility of Christ, uh, uh, the humility of Peter, he gives him even greater responsibility. Shepherd my sheep. As he displays that humility again, Peter, through that first exchange, when he said to him, I want you now to feed my lambs, Peter didn't get lifted up with pride again. He stays humble before his Lord. He still uses the word phileo. He doesn't want to declare that unconditional love and devotion inappropriately. But Christ again declares his confidence in Peter, gives him greater responsibility, shepherd my sheep. And so Christ expands Peter's responsibility by commanding him, shepherd my sheep. Come to verse 17, we see the third exchange. It says unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Some of you have studied this passage before. You know the change that took place here. This time, the third time, Christ changes the word to phileo. He doesn't use the word agape. Peter, do you phileo me? Do you have a friendship, love for me? Again, Christ does not condemn Peter. He recognizes his humility and actually commends him for that humility and says, do you flatter me? He acknowledges Peter's hesitation as Christ uses the word flatter himself. And we read then that Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, do you flatter me? Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved because he, he recognized his own weakness and his own hesitation and, and he, he just is confused. He doesn't understand his own heart and, and he, he's grieved by that. But, but now he's also grieved that, that Christ has acknowledged his weakness and it grieves him. I think probably some of the grief that, that Peter experiences here is, is also Christ has asked him now three times, do you agape me? Do you agape me? Do you flat me? Do you think that question asked three times reminds Peter of the three denials just a few days earlier? Peter was grieved. 
And in Peter's response, as he acknowledges his weakness and now recognizes that Christ acknowledges his weakness, Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I phileo you. Notice that addition. Lord, you know all things. Again, he's just saying, Lord, I'm not going to make any great declarations here because you know my heart. You know what I'm feeling. You know my confusion. You know my doubts. You know my hesitation. You just know all things and I'm just humbling myself before you. The omniscient God who knows all things. I just humble myself before you. And Christ responds, feed my sheep. He goes from feed my lambs, he expands that responsibility, shepherd my sheep. And then he says, now in the shepherding of my sheep, one of the great responsibilities is feed those sheep. Feed. In the shepherding, you got all the the details involved in the shepherding, but one of the main focuses, Peter, that I have for you is feed my sheep. Peter this time does not simply say, you know that I love you, but he adds, you know all things. And once again, though Peter is not ready to declare confidence in himself, Christ declares confidence in him and commands him, feed my sheep. Peter, I don't want you to go back to fishing. I don't want you to go back to that old way of life. I don't want you to go back to that old livelihood. I have a job for you, Peter. Feed my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. Feed my sheep. Strengthen the brethren. I told you, Peter, a few days ago that when you come back to me, I want you to strengthen the brethren. Here's how you do it. Feed my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. Feed my sheep. That's going to strengthen the brethren. That's the responsibility, Peter, I give you. I don't want you to go back to fishing. This is a career change, Peter. Notice in verse 18 and 19, Verily, verily, I say unto you, When you were young, you girded yourself and walked where you would. But when you shall be old, you shall stretch forth your hands, and another shall gird you and carry you where you would not. This spoke he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Christ says to Peter, Peter, you may not right now in your humility and in your confusion and in your doubt Understandably, you can't declare that unconditional love and devotion and surrender to me. I understand that, but Peter, you will prove it in the future. You will prove it in your death. And in your death, you will glorify God. In essence, he's telling Peter here that he will be martyred. And in that martyrdom, he will prove his unconditional love and devotion and surrender to Christ. He couldn't declare it right now in his confusion and in his doubt and in his humility, but he would prove it in the future by his actions. 
And so he says, Peter, you'll glorify God in your death. And though Peter, in humility, was hesitant to declare his unconditional agape love for Christ, Christ was telling him that he would prove it in his death. And then the command, follow me. Peter, that's what I want from you. I want you to keep that humility that you've just displayed. And I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to shepherd my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. I just want you in humility and by my grace, follow me. Peter being Peter, he's a changed man. He's a humbled man. He's a broken man, but he's still Peter. So in verses 21, uh, 20 and 21, he, he sees John sitting there and he says to Jesus, what about this guy? That, you know, Peter's still Peter. What about this guy? What about John? And Christ says, Peter, in verse 22, that's none of your business. You don't need to worry about John. That's between me and him. If he dies... A martyr's death, he dies a martyr's death. If he doesn't, he doesn't. If he's still alive when I come back, that's none of your business, Peter. Follow me. Regardless of what John does, regardless of what anyone does, regardless of what anything happens, follow me. And so his final words in verse 22, Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to you? Follow me me. Christ asked us the same question this morning. Do you love me? It's easy. It's easy to declare our unconditional love and devotion and surrender to Jesus. That, that love of intimacy. It's easy to declare it. But what Jesus wants is humility before him dependent upon His grace to fulfill the responsibilities that He's given to us. Just go out and do the responsibilities that I've given to you. Just follow me in humility. Follow me. Not interested just in your, your prideful declaration. I'm interested in your, in your humility. Follow me. In Matthew chapter 7, Christ says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But I will say unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Oh, we can declare, Lord, Lord. We can declare our unconditional love and surrender to him. But will we follow Him? Will we humble ourselves before Him and simply do what He asks of us? By His grace, in humility, will we follow Him? Let's bow in prayer. Father, we're so grateful this morning that You've recorded for us this exchange between Christ and Peter. 
What a great lesson for us. Father, you had Christ declare his confidence in Peter. May we depend upon your confidence and not our own. May we humble ourselves, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following our Savior. May it not just be words, but may we prove it in our actions. May those two words simply ring in our ears as we leave this morning. Follow me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. to answer any questions you may have or to help you in any way, please seek us out. Give us a call. We're here to help. Shall we stand? Again, Father, we're so grateful for your word and for its truths. We pray, Father, that we would examine our hearts, take any pride away that may be lingering in our hearts, Help us to humble ourselves before you, acknowledging that we need your grace to fulfill the responsibilities that you've given to us. Help us to follow our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Good morning. May God bless you.